Well, good morning. My name is Steve, and I can say I'm one of the pastors here. And welcome to Kickoff Sunday. We are so glad you're here. And if you're new or if you're watching online, we would, again, love to connect with you. And so we're starting this new sermon series called Parables. Jesus, the storyteller. And today I want to camp out on this question. The question is simply this. How do Jesus' words impact you? When you hear them, how do you respond? Or do they fall on deaf ears? Let me just pray one more time. God, I just pray that hard hearts would soften this morning. That Spirit, you would speak, that you would change and transform. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I told this story a couple months ago, and I remember when my grandpa was going deaf. You know, he had these hearing aids, and my grandma was loud, and, and she would be talking and talking and talking in the kitchen, and she was quite robust. It was kind of like the Energizer binary that just kept going and going and going and going. And I stayed for my grandparents for about a year during college. And I remember him, my grandpa, sitting down into his lazy boy, putting his feet up. And my grandpa would be like, and then he would gradually turn his earring heads down. (laughs) But you know what? I noticed that I'm starting to become a lot like my grandpa. That sometimes around the dinner table, I start to tune out my kids, and some are louder than others. No other parent does that. And then suddenly, my daughter would be like, hey, Dad, I was talking to you. Did you hear what I said? And I'd be like, yeah, no. (laughs) Caught. But I started to think back. And I realized that I often hear words, but I don't really hear them. I often will say that I'm listening, but that I don't listen. And I was thinking about my relationship with my wife in the first 10 years of marriage. There was points in conflict. She's like, do you hear me? I'm like, yes, I do. She's like, no, you don't. I'm like... But if I'm being honest, she was right. I wasn't really understanding her. I wasn't really taking it in. Her words were falling flat. Every husband knows what I'm talking about. So does every wife. But now that I've been married 22 years, I look back and I recognize that something had to change and be transformed in me and in my wife so that we could communicate, so that we could hear each other, so that we could understand, so that we could move forward. And it was this progress, but it was also this heart change because at times I didn't want to hear her. I had too much pride. I didn't humble myself and say, honey, okay, what are you really trying to say? I don't understand. 
And as we did that, I started to realize she was telling me she wanted to be loved differently. She wanted to connect more. She wanted me to use my voice differently at times in conflict. I started to hear her words. They started to change my heart. Just like in the story, do we hear Jesus' words and do they fall flat? Do we say that we're listening but they don't really impact us? They don't really change us? You know, week after week, sermon after sermon, we open up God's word. Does the spirit of God speak to you in a way that you're like, ah, I need to change. I need to take a step forward. I need to listen more than speak. I need to be transformed day after day. And in today's passage, Jesus is talking about hearing. Hearing in such a way that we can understand. So he gives us a parable. A parable is a story or an illustration. The very word a parable means Jesus is teaching alongside something else. In other words, he's teaching us a truth, but he's throwing in a story so that we can understand it. Kerry Kent says this, parables were meant to jolt people out of their complacency. In other words, it draws our attention to make us listen. Parables help us to hear and understand the words of Jesus. Because oftentimes, we don't hear him. Or we ignore him. So in this parable, you're going to see four different ways that we can respond to Christ. And here's the first way. It's the unrepent or unreceptive path, the hard heart. The first response is the hard heart. Verse 3 again says this. And he told many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So who's the sower? Well, the sower refers to God or someone who's communicating on God's behalf. In this case, it's Jesus. Jesus is telling those that are gathered around about God's word, about his kingdom. And that's the seed. The seed is the gospel. It refers to the message that Jesus is communicating through his life, through his words. And then what is the path? Well, let's keep reading. Jesus answers in verse 19. This is what he says. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. In other words, the path represents our heart. And Scripture talks a lot about our heart. What is our heart? Well, it's our inner self. It's our being. It encompasses our feelings, our thinking, our emotions, our will. It's our control center. It's all of us. 
And Jesus is saying that some seed was scattered along the path, but it wasn't received. What do we know about paths? (laughs) Paths are walked on, right? And the more you walk on a path, the harder it becomes. Usually when you see a path, you don't see much growing on it, (laughs) but you see growth all around it. And Jesus is saying that the reason people don't understand or respond to God is because their heart is hard. It's been trampled on. It's not receptive to the seeds. It's because they don't see their need for Jesus. It's because they're spiritually dead. Maybe they're so wounded or hurt, they can't see beyond it. Because life has trampled them. It's hurt them. And they become callous or hard and unreceptive. But what else does Jesus say? He says when the seeds lands, the birds come and eat it up. What do the birds represent in this story? It represents Satan or evil. And if you don't like birds, can I get an amen? So what does this mean for us? Well, we have this image of this path, and it brings to mind our life. And our life has much traffic and activity on our heart And when we have so much traffic and activity, we can't hear and understand God's word. And Jesus is talking again about someone who hears but doesn't understand. In other words, they run from one thing to another. They keep their minds and their affections so busy, they're not open to what God is saying. But they're amused. They love YouTube, they love social media. They're busy. There's no room. There's no time. There's no opportunity for them to sit and ponder, what is it that God the creator wants to say to me in my brokenness, in my heartache, in all the things that are happening in our life? Oh, God, I'll put you last. (laughs) I'm going to do this. When we live in this way, we may hear God's word or get little bits of it, but the enemy comes and snatches it up. He takes what is good. He takes what God wants to do. And it's because our heart is preoccupied Our hearts, affections are in other things. Our heart is hard. You know, honestly, this passage kind of freaks me out. It freaks me out because I know that there's people in this room who hear God's word week after week. People that have grown up in this church, people who have a Bible in their home. 
yet they leave unchanged, yet they don't open up the word of God for themselves and go, God, change me, transform me, soften my heart. And it's Jesus was actually talking to the Pharisees, the religious people who went to church on a regular basis. They came, they listened, but they were unchanged. Their heart was hard. And there's a great deal of similarities between our human heart and our spiritual heart. You know, I really love cheeseburgers. <laughs> and every time I drive by McDonald's, I'm like, oh, I really want a cheeseburger. <laughs> so sometimes I go get one. Maybe two. Maybe three. No. But when my physical heart, my physical life, if I feast on cheeseburgers and fast food and the easy things of life, I become unhealthy. And our spiritual walk is the same way. When we come and we expect and experience, like, oh, I love that song. Oh, I love that preacher. But we go and we're not changed. We've missed it. Our heart is hard. And here's the scary thing. Anyone who calls themselves a Christian may develop a hard heart. It happens gradually. It happens over time. And here are some signs of a hard heart. A hard heart, heart lacks understanding of what Jesus did. A hard heart fosters bitterness and resentment. A hard heart isolates from God and others. A hard heart refuses to forgive. A hard heart is prideful. And they live like you know better than God. A hard heart may hear the word of God, but does not respond. How do you respond when you hear the words of Jesus? This is why Proverbs says, guard your heart. Yet there's grace. And let's be clear that a hard-hearted person is not a bad person, but it's a broken person. It's someone who needs the good news of Jesus it's someone who needs their heart to be softened so they stop resisting God and his word so that the gospel can take root, so they stop resisting what God wants to do and change. And here's the good news. Even though we resist, God persists. He keeps planting seeds. We keep hearing the good news of the gospel every time we come to church, every time we open up God's word, every time we have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who says, I love you, I want better for you. The unresisted path, the hard heart. That's the first response. The second response 
is the rocky gravel, the shallow heart. This is what he says in verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. In other words, the seed was sown. It started to take root, but the soil wasn't deep enough. And when the sun came, it scorched it. It destroyed it. Well, what does this mean? It means that our shallow Christianity, our shallow roots, can't take the heat. In other words, Jesus is talking about someone who at first accepts him as Savior. He accepts the teaching and later rejects the gospel. For example, when things get difficult or when suffering enters in, they, or when they experience heat from family or friends, nah, I've tried, Jesus. I'm going to go my own way. Or when a Christian meets a non-Christian and they decide to have a romantic relationship, their values don't match up with my values, that's okay. They can't take the heat. Their faith withers. The roots weren't deep enough. You know, I was riding in Beaver Lodge last week, and I saw this massive tree that had fallen, and the roots were incredible in some ways, but clearly they couldn't hold the tree up. It just reminded me of this passage that we've all seen people fall. We've seen Christians who we've even looked up to, who we thought were incredible, who God used, and yet they fell. Why did they fall? The roots weren't deep enough. It was a bit of an act, but their inner heart wasn't right with Jesus. They weren't living an obedient life. And this is why Jesus warns us this is why Jesus says we need deeper roots. And this is why I love our vision. Equipping people to take their next step with Jesus. Transforming our life and the lives of others. It's a vision that is calling us to something deeper. It's, it's a vision that calls us to go beyond shallow Christianity. Why? Because when the storms come, we need to be equipped so that we can stand. So that we have an answer. So that we know what to do. So that when the storms of life come, we know the word of God deeply. And we're rooted in what he's saying to us. Our connection is solid.
And for the true Christian who is deeply rooted in the gospel, the heat of the sun will actually strengthen them as they grow because it forces the roots to go deeper. Who wants to go deeper? Who wants to stand against the storm? You know, this seems to be a theme that kind of came up in Psalm 63. Shallow Christianity. Why are we so unsatisfied? That God is calling us to something deeper, this deeper satisfaction in knowing him, communing with him. And it starts with how we even start our day and the rhythms of our life. Because our habits will lead our heart. And when we have deep habits in Christ, man, our heart is softened. It starts to be rooted in him every single day. This fallen person is growing, is maturing, is taking their next step. Oh, man, the storms are coming. Suffering's here. But I choose to praise him. I choose joy. I choose to love. You know, there's a study I just want to bring to your attention. It's George Barner's research on religious beliefs of young people. It says it confirms that most youth who have grown up in churches and youth groups fail to have a strong enough foundational understanding of the Bible and a biblical worldview to enable them to deal with the pressures of life. That should concern us. Now, there's this, there's this constant biblical illiteracy that I was talking about two weeks ago. There's this tendency to kind of dumb it down, just kind of go to church and just get enough. And when the storms come, we fall. You know, parents and grandparents, I plead with you to equip your kids in the Word of God. It's not just the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility. I plead with you. If you don't know how to do it, come and talk with me. I would love to help you. If we can equip our kids at home... When the storms come, they will stand. Get your kids to ask questions. Get them to talk about their doubts. Prepare your kids. Prepare yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Why? Because culture teaches you. It's teaching your kids. Culture is teaching us to follow our impulses. It's teaching us to ditch godly teaching of our grandparents and parents and to consume everything else. It's teaching us to run away from pain and suffering rather rather than walking through it with Christ. It's teaching us to be true to ourself Follow our heart when our heart is sinful and leading us the wrong direction. 
culture is teaching us when you disagree with someone, delete them. Label them. Rather than reconciling, forgiving, and working things through. I love what George Wood said. He says this, an emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus. He goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus and offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. Such a good quote. Now, here's another book I want to recommend. If you want to go deeper, if you want to develop habits, I recommend The Deeply Formed Life by Rich. It talks about five transformative values that root us in the way of Jesus. It helps us create those habits and rhythms. Next, Jesus talks about the worldly weeds, the divided heart. The third response, the divided heart. In verse 7, he says this, Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. In other words, the person that he's talking about says that they love Christ, but they are entertaining sin all over the place. They're letting it grow up in their life. They're self-indulgent. They're concerned more about the world than what everyone else thinks rather than what God thinks. And in verse 22, this is what he says. As for what sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. Again, to put it differently, this person cares too much about money and things and how they look and appearances. And what everyone, again, thinks about them more than they do about their walk with Christ. This is what Jesus calls a divided heart. It's a divided heart because they attempt to love Christ on one day, but yet their heart loves everything else in life. It's like me saying, man, I choose to love Megan, my wife, but I have a lover on the side, maybe two or three. I don't think she would like that. And this is why Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Why? Because true faith, saving faith, is us completely surrendering ourselves, our brokenness to Christ. It, it says, even though I don't have it all together, God, I choose you. Every single day where I fall and there's a sin sprouting up in my life, it's like, ah, I got to get rid of that. This hurts. We repent. We turn back to Christ. Another sin sprouts up and it gets too big. We choose to repent. We cannot have two masters. You know, I don't really like dandelions. 
Some of you have seen me out there plucking them out one by one. I never get them all. But overall, I'm kind of winning the battle. But I often think if I went even one month or two months without pulling dandelions, what happens? More dandelions and weeds sprout up. And eventually, there's very little lawn in comparison to weeds. There's, there's a cost to not pulling out the dandelions. There's, there's a cost to not weeding your garden. It, it chokes out what is good. There, there's a cost to discipleship. But there's also a cost to not being discipled. You know, there's a cost to following Christ and repenting of your sin. But there's a cost when you don't repent of your sin. There's a cost when you don't go to church and when you're not part of community. The cost is loneliness, it's disconnection, it's isolation. In other words, there is a cost to genuinely and authentically following Christ, but there is an eternal cost if you don't. And oftentimes you're like, oh, I don't know about that sacrifice. God, can I just keep that one? I don't really feel like serving you today. I don't really feel like opening up the Word of God. I really don't feel like going to church. I really don't feel like dealing with my sin. There is a cost. I didn't get an amen for that. And here's the thing. When we start to crowd out your relationship with Christ, my question is, what needs to be uprooted? What needs to be pulled out? What is choking you? What is choking your family? What is causing you Not to count the cost. In all three of these examples, it brings up a big question. All three of those lead to disaster. The hard heart, the shallow heart, and the divided heart. And if I'm being honest, we're all inclined in some way to each of those. We've all had a hard heart. We've all been shallow at times. We've all been divided and double-minded about our faith. However, there's a fourth soil that Jesus gives us. Verse 8, it says this. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. What is Jesus saying? Well, in verse 23, he says this, As for what was sown on good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word of God and understands it. He or she indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. And in another, 30. In other words, the good soil produces a fruitful heart. There's something supernatural that's happening when we engage with God in the gospel that our heart is being changed. It's being transformed. We go, ah, I get it. I need Christ. I've tried the way of the hard heart. I've tried to live a shallow life. I've tried to entertain sin on the side, and it's unsatisfying. It's, it's breaking me down. I need Jesus. And that's the beginning of a soft heart. It's when you hit rock bottom and you finally go, oh, that's what it feels like. I need to change and be transformed, and I need help. I need God's help. The soil's ready. The soil is soft and it's ready to receive the word. God's word starts to take root and go deeper into our life, into our conversations, into how we think, into what we do and how we treat others. But remember that it's the spirit of God that brings the seed, which transforms the soil. Remember that it's a marriage of seed and soil. And when you see this marriage of God and his seed in a broken, hard, divided person, it changes us. It gives me hope. It goes, oh, I don't need to live that way anymore. I can receive his healing. And because I'm forgiven, I can forgive others. Because I'm loved, I can love others. The gospel makes its way down to every area of our life, and it changes us. And when we hear and understand what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, we respond. We respond because of what he did on the cross. And when we repent, and when we turn from our hard heart, our shallow ways, and our divided life, and respond to the gospel, the seed starts to grow. It starts to germinate. It starts to produce good fruit in us. And he's saying, if you call yourself a Christian, if you follow Christ, I, the Spirit of God, will produce something good in you. It's not because of what you or I did. It's because of what he did. Our responsibility is saying, yes, God, I surrender to you. Everything I have is yours. It's not putting on an act. It's not faking it. It's coming with our brokenness and saying, Jesus produced the seed in me. I got nothing. But I want to meet with you. I want to give my life to you. 
And James says, when we bear fruit, we don't just hear the Word of God, we start to do the Word of God. It starts to invade our life. It starts to make its way through every area. And then Jesus is saying, there'll be a harvest when we let God in. Harvest of love, joy, peace. Patience, even though we're not patient. Oh, there it comes. There's a bit more patience. Oh, kindness. Oh, I need that kindness because I'm failing today. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what comes when we let God's seed grow in our life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means every single time you fail and fall and sin, you go back to him. God produce in me what I can't produce in myself. God, I've been unfaithful today. Show me that you're faithful so I can be faithful. God, I'm failing at forgiving right now. Remind me how you forgave me so I can forgive others. God, my response today was unloving towards my wife and my kids. Show me how to better love. I need your gospel again. Remind me. Seeds grow in me. Jesus, I surrender. I pull the weeds. I put the roots deeper. You know, all through this passage, there's two things at play. It says we have a responsibility with the choices that we make. That's on us, that we actually have to say yes to God. But it's when we say yes to God, he does the work in us. So it's both end. Douglas O'Donnell says this, the true test of discipleship is not whether or not one receives the gospel with joy at some doubtable moment in history, The true test of discipleship is whether or not one picks up his or her cross and follows Jesus, not for one day or two weeks or three months or four years, but until Jesus calls him or her home. That's the test. You know, as a pastor, one of the most encouraging things that I see is when broken people or hard hearts become soft. When the seeds of the gospel start to sprout up and make their way. And people that I've never even expected could be changed by God. Something happens. God speaks in such a way they finally go, oh, I get it. I hear and see. I need to change. That means none of us are beyond hope. None of us are beyond being changed by Christ. But again, it starts with us saying yes to Christ. And every day after that, yes to Christ. I want to leave you with this. I'm going to call the worship team up. How is your heart responding to Jesus? And 
And where are you resisting him and his word? And what is God calling you to do today? Just take a moment, bow your head and talk to God. Ask him to reveal whether you need to take that first step and go, God, I need you today. I need to give all of my life, not just pieces of it. Ask God, where are you resisting him and his word today? Where are you being disobedient? You know it, but you're hiding it. (laughs) Those things that you're entertaining in the background that you need to be free of so that you can move forward in your relationship with Christ. And ask God, what, what do I need to do today? Do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to surrender my whole life? Do I need to make habits where I'm in the word, where he's every day transforming and rooting? Do I need to spend time with my family and my kids and help them be equipped for what is coming? What is God saying to you right now? I'm gonna call our worship teams forward. If you need prayer for whatever reason, There's people that would love to pray with you. Maybe something good that's happened in your life, you want to celebrate it. Or maybe you're like, man, I need help. I need to be changed. Or I'm struggling with something that's beyond me. I need the Spirit of God to come into my life and do a work that I can't do. before I pray if there's someone here today that God is speaking to you directly and you know you need to surrender and give your life I would love to talk with you and walk you through that process let me pray God thank you for today thank you that we can start off kick off by talking about our heart But God, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, produce something in us that we cannot produce in ourselves. God, we want to be deeply rooted in you because we need you. Every day, every moment, every hour. Help us to be more like Christ. God, for the person here that has heard the word for the very first time and they've begun to understand what Jesus did on the cross, I pray that they would take that next step today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.